Typically, a New Year's Day sermon is given to one of the assistant pastors or interns. I'll just get, shoot you straight. You know, the pastor needs a break, and this is a great chance for a pastor to get a break. But, it, but, but I thought, as I saw the calendar, I looked at it and I said, uh, this is the last Sunday at Hillcrest Hall. I am preaching in Hillcrest Hall. And so I was like, sorry, interns, you ain't preaching. I'm preaching today, okay? And I'm very, very excited. I decided um, I was going to preach a psalm of thanksgiving. A psalm of thanksgiving because, indeed, that is where uh, I feel right now. In a place of great thanksgiving. Um, and it is appropriate to preach a psalm of thanksgiving to elicit more thanksgiving to our great God. So the psalm of thanksgiving that I'll be preaching on this morning is Psalm 100. It is not connected to any series we're doing. It is a one-off sermon of being thankful to our God. So Psalm 100, it is printed for you in your bulletin. You can follow along in your Bible. And here is what it says. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And His faithfulness to all generations. Here's something strange that I've noticed as a pastor. People have a lot of emotion about emotion in church. Okay, I'll say that again so that you guys can kind of catch up to what I just said. People have a lot of emotion about emotion in church. Let me give you an example. If a church is stale, you know, lacking emotion, those who are used to traditions that show great emotions in church will say this about those churches. Those churches are dead. They lack the very spirit that marks some, someone who's been born again by the spirit. There is no life. There's no joy. There's no love. And if we're being objective here, perhaps there's an element of truth to that. Look, I've sat through services where it, it felt like the equivalent of taking sawdust and putting it in my mouth and just chewing. Okay, that is how stale and boring and lifeless services have been for me. I don't think it's a stretch for me to say churches or, or, or traditions, I don't even want to call it traditions because traditions have all sorts of sliding scales, but churches that lack any emotion in church can be like the churches that, that Jesus spoke to in Revelation, and in particular the church of Ephesus, who Jesus said, hey, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. People have a lot of emotion about emotion in church. But on the flip side, there are churches that display lots of emotion. And these churches are hotly criticized by those whose traditions tend to lack emotion. And this is because these services seem to be structured in such a way that it's geared to manipulating the emotions of the people. There's a sense that these churches are trying to stir something up that truly isn't biblical. I mean, just recently, I sat in a church... Recently, I sat in a church, and it's not our church, okay? okay? I sat in a church where the pastor, while preaching, was joined on stage by a person playing the keyboard. And the person played this hypnotic music for five or so minutes 
as this pastor was wrapping up his incredibly bland sermon. And it really was. It was so bland. And I'm going, what are they trying to do with this hypnotic pad behind? They're just trying to manipulate my emotions. This pastor's not even making any sort of connection. What is going on? Objectively speaking, it felt like manipulations. So for churches that overemphasize emotion, I don't think it's a stretch to apply the words of Jesus to the church at Sardis from Revelation 3, who said, I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in, my, in the sight of my God. There's a lot of emotions about emotions in church. But how are we to think about emotions in church? Are either of these camps right, the over-emotional or the under-emotional? Who is right? Is it better to be on one side or the other? What are we to do with our emotions in church? We have a lot of emotion about emotion in church. This is why Psalm 100 is a great litmus test for us, for how we are to handle our emotions in worship. This vital passage for worship puts before us what I hope, central hope as a church embodies. It is one that I hope we can lean into for a long time to come. So I want to study Psalm 100 that we might be emotionally healthy in our worship as a church. I don't want us to be like the church in Ephesus, who has no emotion, or the church in Sardis, whose emotion is tied to nothing. I want us to be a church fully engaged with the Lord and sensitive to his presence, willing to offer emotion at a proper time. And Psalm 100 gives us two aspects to help us understand this. It talks about the call. It gives us the cause. And then what we're going to do is we're going to give a case study. So we're going to look at Psalm 100. It gives us a call to worship the Lord. It gives us the cause for the worship of the Lord. And then I'm going to conclude our service by doing a case study that we might worship the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So let's study Psalm 100 and look at first at the call that this psalm gives to us. Psalm 100 has seven different calls to action. Listen to them. Make a joyful noise. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Let me do those again real quick. Make, serve, come, know, enter, give, bless. Seven imperatives given to us in this small psalm of five verses. But I want you to notice something about these seven calls to action. Most of these calls to actions are deeply tied to great emotion. Meaning emotions are vitally important in worship. Let me just give you three examples from these seven imperatives. First, let's look at the first call. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Now we read these four words as four words. But in the Hebrew, it's one word. And it's, it's kind of a fun word because it kind of reminds me of Street Fighter. Um, Haru! Haru! I think I'm getting that right. I'm not, I'm not Jewish. But it's one word that means make a joyful noise to the Lord. One word. Think about it. It's one word that means a lot. This to me tells me this word is very significant for the Jews. And it's very significant for us. It's not just any Hebrew word. It's a compound word that carries significant meaning and is used. And indeed it was used with great significance. 
Haru was often used with the blast of a trumpet. It's a word that is to be used as a loud alarm, used for battle orders and victory shouts. If you will, Haru would be heard at a football game when the home team scores the winning touchdown. It's a word that captures great and joyful emotion. It's a shout, and it's here used by the psalmist for the Lord. Shout joyful praise to the Lord. Hiru is deeply connected to deep emotions. Look secondly, the second command, serve the Lord with gladness. Here the Hebrew word for serve is ibdu. It calls us to consider our relationship with God, ibdu, the way that a servant would a king. We call to serve this king, this Lord, with gladness. But let me ask you a question. Are you familiar serving with gladness? You know, many of us consider it a great burden to be a servant. That being a servant is this low-class reality. That it's something that we should aspire to get out of. But the psalm here calls us to serve with gladness. The King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. This is a joyful gladness in line with our worship. It's deeply tied, the serving of our Lord with gladness, emotion. Lastly, the last thing I want to show you, and and there's other examples, but for the sake of time, I just want to show you this third one. Come into his presence with singing. Once again, due to translation, we lose the essence of this call to action. Come into his presence with singing can convey any number of realities. But here's the reality that the Hebrew really wants us to understand. The Hebrew word that's been translated singing is this word reinana. And this word means joyful singing. Other English translations have done right to translate this as rejoicing or joyful song. This joy, reinana, is expressed through dancing and leaping. Renana was a word used during holy days in the coronation of kings. So, so Psalm 100 is telling us to come to the Lord with hearts that are filled with joyful singing. Singing praise to him. Deep emotions in our worship of God. I wonder, do we sing with Renana? Is our worship characterized as Haru? Do we serve the Lord with gladness, I wonder? Sadly, this isn't always the case. One of my mentors in seminary, a Presbyterian, mind you, would always jokingly say to these Reformed Presbyterians, he said, do you want to know how you you know you've been caught up in a a revival in a Presbyterian church? Watch the hands. Watch the hands. Yeah, if they get above the belt, you've hit revival. It's a shame that it's a joke for us in a tradition that deeply values who God is. Amen. But it is an absolute shame that the tradition that can articulate the Lord more poetically and knowledgeably can't even get their hands barely above their belt. It's a deep shame. If we truly understood who the Lord was, I mean, we would worship Haru, Renana, gladness. Psalm 100 calls us to this. So how are we to process this as a church? How are we to process about great emotion? I think there's two things that we need to consider. 
We need to consider worship, worshiping emotively. Uh, this, is a, this is a hard thing for me to kind of like communicate to you. Like it's important for you to worship emotively because we all have different temperaments. Some of you are very like just quiet and that's, there's no, there's no shame to that. I, I, I'm not telling you that you need to be this person on the ground, knees raised, weeping in service and things like that. I'm not telling you that's where you need to go. Okay, I'm not telling you that. But your emotive worship could mean, and all joking aside, means getting your hands above your belt. It could mean that. For some of you, people like me, I'm very emotive. And you guys are like, really? (laughs) I I mean, be genuine. It's important to worship emotively. Don't hold back. I I remember when I was kind of coming of age and the Lord was really doing a great work in my life, there was this weird thing that was going on. Some people would stand when they were singing and some people would sit and I'd be like, what do I do? You you, you wanna feel like you you fit in with the, don't worry about that. Consider the Lord, what he's done and just be genuine to the emotions in your heart. If you cannot worship emotively, this is a hard saying, if you cannot worship emotively in, in your own unique ways, with all of your heart, here's what I'm gonna say. It's hard. You might not know the Lord. You might not know the great salvation that he's provided. You might not know how great of a sinner you are and how great a salvation the Lord has provided for us despite your sin. For when we understand that, it affects our heart and it comes out in joyous praise. Psalm 100 reminds us of this. So worship emotively. The second thing that I think Psalm 100 in these calls to think is the second thing, not only to worship emotively, worship genuinely. You don't have to be overly exuberant each and every week in our worship. Sometimes you're coming in with a heavy heart. You know, it's lamenting. And I think that that is a legitimate place, but I also think that that is a legitimate place where we can get to. There are psalms of lament in the book of Psalms. And so if life is heavy and hard, you can sing those songs with a heavy heart, but you're doing it emotively. Be genuine. You don't have to adhere to some sort of form. And What I want more than anything for you is for you to be genuine in your worship of the Lord. And that can look any different ways, but it needs to connect to your emotions. Worshiping the Lord with all of our heart and soul. Can you do that? Psalm 100 calls us to that. This is the call of the psalm, to worship with all of our heart. So we've seen the call of Psalm 100. What's the cause? What's the cause of our great emotion? Well, Psalm 100 makes it abundantly clear why we are to be expressive in our praise. It's cause of the Lord. (laughs) It's cause of the Lord. I know that's bad English. But we worship with great emotion because of the Lord. Consider the fourth imperative in this psalm, verse 3. Look what it says. It says, know the Lord. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made you. The Lord is the cause of our great emotion and worship. Who he is and what he is and what he has done for us is the reason that we praise him and shout for joy in his presence. Psalm 100 teaches us that emotionally healthy worship is always to be connected to the reality of the God that is revealed in Scripture. We lose God, 
we lose emotionally healthy worship. And Psalm 100 reveals to us, in just a small ways, two components of who God is. Two components. God is God, and God is good. I want us to look first at how God is God and, and why this reality is very important in our worship of God. Consider verse 3 again. It says, know that the Lord, He is God. Worship the Lord, He is God. You know, it's, it's a strange saying, and again, I hate to keep referencing back the Hebrew, but we lose so much in the English that it's almost like we can say it and it goes in one ear and out the other. This isn't just any phrase, I want you to know that. In this command, the name of God is used. The name that he gave himself is used, the Lord. But, but we don't see this as that way in the English, the Lord. We use this kind of flippantly all the time throughout scripture. But this is the name that God himself gave to Moses in the burning bush. Who do you say, who, who, who am I going to say sent me to, to come bring deliverance of the Jews out of Egypt? Uh, Yahweh. I am who I am. English translations call this the Lord. But Yahweh is what yod heh vav heh That's the, that's the, we, we've got the, the Hebrew letters, those four letters. There's no vowels, there's nothing. It's kind of this mysterious, we call it the tetragrammaton. What is it? It's I am who I am. So what this is saying, no, I am, the psalmist says, that he is God. So now we have to think of this in a different, different light. We have to think of this the way that a Jew would think of it. Know that I am is God. What are they thinking of this in light of? He's not the God of Moab. He's not the God of Egypt. He's not the God of Philistia. He's not the God of the Romans or the Greeks. He is I am. Know that I am is God. God is God. He is the one who made us, it says. He is the one who owns us. He's the one who cares for us. This is God. Worship him. There is no other God. So we worship. The cause of our emotive worship is the God who exists. God is God. I am who I am. But we don't just worship him for who he is. We worship him for what he has done. And this is where the psalm takes us in the second part of it, verse 5. Not only do we worship God because he's God, we worship him because he's good. Verse 5, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Once again, we have the tetragrammaton, the, the Yahweh used in verse 5. The Lord, the one who redeemed Israel out of Egypt with mighty acts. The Lord who has put on his flesh and blood and given himself for our sakes on the cross. The Lord, he is good. And his goodness is expressed to us in this case in two different ways. First, his steadfast love endures forever. This is one of the most repeated phrases throughout the Old Testament. It's the word has said. It's covenant love. If you will, in our own context, it's, um, it's the closest thing we have to marital love. That you're going to be in a, a, a law-abiding relationship. God is in a law-abiding relationship with his people. His love is steadfast. It can't go anywhere. God cannot break his own law. And his love towards us is continual. It is steadfast. It cannot go anywhere. If you know anything of the book of Hosea, 
that is said of, of Hosea to his wife is, is over and over and over again to, to depict the covenant love of God to his people who continually turn away from him and continually turn to things that are himself. Has said, has said, God is faithful to the unfaithful. God is good. So we worship God because he is faithful to us despite our unfaithfulness. And his love for us is displayed for us on the cross. God so loved the world, he gave his only son, his begotten son. God so loved, he gave. Do you know that God's love for you is very real because of Jesus? God is good because of Jesus. And he, we know because of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, that his steadfast love endures forever. God is worthy of our praise. He is good. But it also says, not only because of his steadfast love we are to praise him, but because of his faithfulness to all generations. His love is not just for you personally, but for your family. Just as the Lord is faithful to you, he is faithful to your family. The Lord doesn't start over with each and every generation. He is faithful to those throughout his family. To you to yours and the ones after you. And we must consider this. I mean, I'm not old in, by any stretch of me, but I'm, I'm getting there. My kids are getting older. And, and, and as I get older, one of the things that I want for my kids, and I, I, I think many of you would long for your kids, is for them to know the Lord and to walk with the Lord. And it's a scary predicament. It is. It is. Are they walking with the Lord? But when I read this, he is faithful to the generation. I take great comfort. Thank you, Lord. I bet you we could go around this room and, and, and we could tell stories of how God has been faithful to us despite our unfaithfulness and maybe even through our families. Many of us in here have testimonies of how God has been faithful from generation to generation. We should praise God for that. He is faithful to his generation. So the Lord, the cause of our great emotive worship is God himself who is good. A few years ago, I attended a pastor's dinner in Hot Springs. Some of you were with me during this time. But something happened in this particular dinner that, that kind of struck a chord with me. While we were enjoying each other's companies, the host decided to play a fun game called God or Dating. In this game, the host would read a set of lyrics and the participants had to decide if the song was written for God or for a boyfriend-girlfriend. As a, as a pastor, I thought, I, I think I could handle this game. I think I could get this down. And so in a very monotone voice, the host started reading some lyrics. And I quickly realized, I got no clue. <laughs> some songs that I thought were, oh, that's definitely a worship song. I think I sung that at church a few years ago. It was like a Justin Bieber song. I'm like, what? <laughs> Some worship songs that, that, that were quoted. I mean, it was, it was, I was like, oh gosh, that is really bad. We gotta, we gotta get that out of our worship service. <laughs> what in the world? And it kind of revealed to me something about the way that we think about worship. We can completely detach worship from who God is. It, it's happened in our church. And my guess is there's songs that, that you like that are probably like that. We must never lose the sight of our God in our worship. 
God is God. There is no other. He is worthy of the praise due unto him. Why? Because he's good. Not only because he's good, he's God, but he's good. The reality of who God is is the cause of our emotive worship. I want you to know him. But I want to, I want to apply some things as we think about worship as a, as a whole. As we think about what we do as, as a church moving forward, and, and, and I'm just going to briefly speak, speak to this, and then I'm going to get into the case study. One application of, of this reality, of, of, of basing our motive worship in the reality of God, is that we need to sing more songs about who God is rather than an emotive response of who we are. There's a song that, that I would sing in high school around the campfires, as you, whatever. It was called Light the Fire. And it was all about creating this emotional response in our heart. It wasn't about God and the reality of who God moving our hearts to rest in the truth of who God is and what it is he's done for us. And then from there going and saying, praise the Lord, I am free. It was all about creating an emotional response. We need to be mindful of the songs that we sing. Are they more like dating or are they more like true worship songs of God. This is one of the reasons why I do love the hymns because they didn't get into this emotional response all the time. And I'm not saying emotional responses are bad because when you read the Psalms, there is like, there is some of that. I'm just saying we need to sing more songs about who God is rather than what we need to be feeling, okay? That's the first one. The second thing that we have to be very mindful of as, as a church is that we need to be very cautious with unbiblical service practices. We need to be very cautious with unbiblical service practices. Many of you grew up in churches where you heard the song, Just As I Am, repeated over and over and over and over again to try to create this response to get people to come down the aisle that they might commit their lives to Christ. I've heard stories of people who go, man, I just felt this... Yeah, I, I didn't go up front because the Lord was showing who he was. I went up because I felt there was this social pressure that I needed to go forward. And the pastor continued to do this. That is manipulation. That is unbiblical. Psalm 100 tells us we are to put before us the reality of God and what he's done and then let the chips fall where they fall. And so if there is genuine emotion, praise be to God. But we should not manipulate. This is unbiblical and needs to be avoided. We need to be considering these realities all the times of our life. Look, I'm not against having music, um, you know, from time to time, like behind a, a prayer. And uh, I mean, the Psalms are music with prayers. You realize that, right? Like, it's not bad to have music behind it. But to have music to manipulate, mm, we need to be very cautious. Okay, so we've seen the call. We've seen the cause of this greater worship. How do we apply it? Well, I want to apply it selfishly. I want to apply it to a case study. In my hopes that you yourselves would consider our great God, how he's been faithful and his steadfast love has been shown to us as a church that we might praise him with great emotion. In the spring of 2018, I received word that this building would be open for a church to meet in it. The church that had previously been in Crosswalk Church closed its doors for good, and now we can move in. At the time, Central Hope was gathering in a family room of the convent just down the street from here at Mount St. Mary's. 
We are a growing congregation of roughly 40 people, and the move seemed to be a perfect for us and where we wanted to be. So in June of 2018, we made the move, and I was so excited to worship in this space, to sit in this stage, whatever you want to call it. But I have to admit to you that in the back of my mind, there was this thought, is this building cursed? Crosswalk closed its doors in this building. The church that was in the building before that, they closed their, their, their doors. Is this building cursed? It was so superstitious. It was so ridiculous. I, I admit, it was ridiculous, okay? But the thought in my mind was there. By the summer of 2019, a year after we moved to this, our congregation got up to about 70 or so people. Things were fine in this space with the exception of an occasional bat with a black mold that you can see forming on the walls. Don't look too closely, okay? <laughs> Five, six months later, we're over 100 people. March of 2020, we are gathering as a group of people. We, we have men in the church that, that we think are going to be great elders. It's the work that God has called me to, to establish this church here in Little Rock. It finally seems like it's happening. The curse that I thought would happen maybe in this building, it wasn't happening. And we started to grow again. And, and by March of 2020, beginning of March of 2020, I think it was... March the 3rd or something like that, we voted as a congregation to leave this building and go to the Center University Park. We, we, were, we were getting ready to go, and then March 11th happened. And we all know what happened March 11th of that year. COVID. <laughs> COVID hit. That's what happened. Yeah. COVID hit. And the church that I knew in the early parts of March would not be the church that I would come to know this church would train, change dramatically. We were not allowed to worship in this space. And in the early parts of, this, of, of COVID, we, you know, we didn't know what it was. And so we understood that. And so we worshiped online. We did what we were supposed to do. All that stuff. I'm not trying to get into that. Eventually, we were able to meet in another place to worship a Covenant Presbyterian Church. And we did it in the evenings. And it was awful. It was terrible. And I hated every moment of it. <laughs> Then we went to downtown Little Rock where we went to Loft 1023 and, and we had to do some serious candle work in there to make it smell <laughs> decently. <laughs> and sometimes they had us in the burger joint, sometimes they had us in the brass room, and sometimes they had us, like, we were all over the place. 2020 was one of the most difficult years for me as a pastor. And I can admit to you that I was this close to quitting. Not many of you know this, but I was this close to quitting. November of 20, I started interviewing with another church because I didn't know if I had what it takes to start this church all over again. 80% of our church had left. I mean, most of the people in the church had moved away. It wasn't like, oh, I don't like this church. It's, no, I'm going to Nashville. I'm going to Greenville. I'm going to San Antonio. I'm going to Dallas. All over the place. And the very people that I thought would be our, our, our core and, and the foundation and the roots deep into this church, they were gone. And I was done. I was done. I'm going back to Florida. No, we're not going back to Florida. <laughs> No, we're not going to. No, don't worry. That, this is past tense, guys, okay? This is past tense. There are some, there are some men in, this, in our denomination that were beautiful in the midst of this season. 
And they let me cry and they let me express myself and they let me just, the anger and the frustration and the sadness that I was experiencing, they just let me do it. I sat at a retreat with these pastors, bearing my heart and soul. And then they came to me, and two pastors came to me and went, Dan, you're burned out. And I understand it. What you've gone through and what we've all gone through has been really hard. What you need is just connect with the Lord. And don't worry about anything else. And so I did. And the Lord began to work in me a renewed call for this church. And the church was totally different. Totally different than what it was at the beginning of the year. Most of you that are sitting here weren't even a part of that church. There were some of you. And thanks be to God. You know, I, as I think about where we are now, as I think about wh- where we were then, I, I, when I was, like, November of 2020, let me just say, I would w- come in here in November of 2020, this room, because I would come and get some things from the closets, and I would, I would go downstairs to get stuff for our other worship site, and I would, I would be on the verge of tears walking into this room, and I'd see tables filled with library books. I'm like, this is where we worship. I never felt like I got closure. This is, this is central hope. This is, this is how I understood our church. And I never got closure. And there's this pain and this. And the joy that I had when, when Hillcrest Hall said, you can get back in. It was such a joy. And it's such a joy for me to preach this sermon today. To look back at the faithfulness of God through the ups and the downs of COVID. Of people leaving and people coming. Of people Nasty, saying nasty words of me and painful saying nice words of me. The faithfulness of God to this church to keep it together. For him to be true to his word. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus said that to his disciples. He says that to us. I'm going to build my church. It's for him to be faithful to his word to us so that we're going to a new facility next week. I say thanks be to God. And I tell you, friends, make a joyful noise to the Lord. He is faithful to us. He is faithful to us. His steadfast love for us endures forever. And may our, 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 may our voices be heard in our worship, testifying to the God who is and to the God who is good. Our, our story as a church, my story, that, that, I'm, that I'm kind of just kind of sharing as a case study, It is to the faithfulness and goodness of our God. And he's going to continue to be that way. Oh, may we be a church that is worshiping genuinely but emotively. Because indeed, he is worthy of our praise. Let me pray. Almighty and gracious God, trying God, we give praise to you. We praise you that your steadfast love continues to be displayed in this body of believers here in Little Rock. What a beautiful testament this is to us. And for that, we rightfully praise you. Oh, may our hearts, may our hearts be engaged in such a way that we are deeply attached to the reality of who you are and what it is you've done. That we might give you praise. That we might love you with all of our heart soul, mind, and strength. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I told the team this before, and we're going to go with it. I said, we're not going to sing the song that, that, that they prepared after the service. I want them to sing a song that I think is fitting for 
what was just preached. Um, we sang it earlier in the service, but I want to invite you now to sing. We're going to sing Yes, I Will, if that's, that's good. I didn't, I'm not surprising that on them. Um, I just told them, if I feel it, I'm going to go with it. We're going to go with it. So would you guys stand as we sing Yes, I Will. It's in your bulletin. It's the second song that we sang together.